And he tells us in his perfect, like, broken English, Chinese parable accent, he goes, Jeremy, when luxury becomes necessity, you are in prison. Wow. I mean, that, and that was his, and he was living it, man. Hey, I'm Chris Lamb. This is the Money Hole Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, download, and leave us a comment. Today, I'm here with my good friend, Jeremy Byrne. Thanks for coming, man. Chris, honored to be here. Yeah, I haven't seen you for a while. I know. What have you been up to? Uh, living life um, in the middle of a basement remodel in my house, putting in an ADU, raising two little babies, and loving marriage, and cutting hair. Nice. Yeah. Well, you haven't had to cut my hair for a while. No, I know. <laughs> we, we need to see you back to the salon. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, this is, I don't know what number episode this is, but I was thinking about you when we first started this because when when you and I first met, I don't remember how many years ago that was, your dad had originally talked to me about you because you were interested in the financial world, but you've been involved in real estate for a long time. And I don't know if everyone that meets you knows that. Like you're, You've got a very interesting story to me. Because you've, you know, you've been an acting, you're a hairstylist, and you like hunting, but you're also doing real estate investing. And so guys like you, I'm always interested in because you have, you're, you're very uh, dynamic in the things you do in life. So I'd love to hear just a little bit about um, how you got into real estate or maybe when the thoughts of passive income, you know, entered your mind. Yeah. Um I mean, as far as my first kind of investment went, it was back in 2013. So 10 years ago, I was living in LA and I was enjoying the uh, actor's life of working about 100 hours a week and making a comfortable living down there. Back in the days when booking a couple of national network commercials left you fat and, you know, th thick wallet. So, um, but the good thing about, I guess, there's a good and a bad side, I guess, if we want to get into of, of my kind of family of origin surrounding money. Mm -hmm. One was like a sort of a cr Christian, like money is kind of bad, but also very frugal. My dad was a saver and stuff. So I was always saving. I was a kind of delayed gratification slash saver. I mean, so yeah. anyhow, so I didn't, I wasn't just burning through all this money that I was making as an actor. Um, and then a good buddy of mine who I think is way beyond me as far as his kind of financial savvy asked me about partnering in a multifamily investment. And that was in 2013. I thought that sounds like the thing that puts me on a footing for where I think I want to go. Cause I'm happy. My philosophy generally was like, I'm happy to have my standard of living be at a place where my job just doesn't own me. I want to get some mm -hmm. passive income, get all these things going. So that was a great, great opportunity that having smart friends just produced in my life, which I'm super grateful for. So that was 2013, um, multifamily unit up here in Reading when I was living down mm -hmm. in LA. Also such, I mean, I couldn't really get into the game in LA right. back in 10, 10 years ago and stuff. So yeah, that's been really good for us. It was a good time to buy. Still kind of bouncing back from 2008. It's a short sale from the bank and I'm, I'm managing it now up here. So it's been great. Never sell it. I regret selling any real estate I've ever had. Maybe, maybe the exception of one piece. I, it's just one of those things. It seems like if you hold it for long enough, it always does really well. Yeah. Um, well, and this is the thing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, I think about that and I'm trying to learn as I'm going, but you think about selling because in these last few years, I've gotten some really yeah. good offers. You know, they're super tempting, 
But I'm starting to learn as I'm around people like you and other investors and stuff that working to to hold on to your money, like the work that it takes to find the next deal is can be overwhelming. Otherwise, you're mm-hmm. just I mean, you just get slashed with, you know, capital gains and everything, whatever. Yeah. That's a that's a really good question. I think a lot of people when they see that their property, whether it's an, a rental or their primary has gone up in value, they see dollar signs mm-hmm. and they think that, you know, I have all this money and it, people need to understand. And I think they understand it more now today than maybe ever that there's, they have to think about inflation yeah, and they have to think about taxation. And anytime you sell an asset, you're generally going to pay taxes unless it's a primary residence that you've lived in for over two years. Right. And you're going to have to put that money somewhere else. Yeah. So if they're at least thinking about, I'll take this money and try to move it into some other asset. Well, then you got to ask, where am I going to move that money? That's going to give me the same return that I'm getting here already. And most people that have real estate right now, their interest rates are so low and with rates being higher, there's just no way to do that. And so it's kind of a loser's end right now for most people to sell real estate which is why you see such a short a shortage of inventory nationwide there's there's less homes for sale right now uh, i mean i don't know the last time but i think there's 600,000 units for sale nationwide and just to give you some perspective in 2007 right before the housing crash started there was 4 million homes for sale and today there's 14 million more households that need housing and so when people start thinking about it logically, they usually see that it's yeah. not a good idea to sell your property. Yeah. Not as Especially when the dollar is doing all the things it's doing, it's holding on to real estate. It just seems like the smart thing to do. Can I ask you what, so even that mindset of, I would never sell, I would just hold on to, because you're not getting that big payout when people come around, Hey, I'll offer you this for your house, this for your property, your investment property. Is the is would you say is the perspective that would cause someone to realize the benefit of holding? And this may be too simplistic, but I want to hear your thoughts. Is it delayed gratification or is it vision for the, like what would cause someone to forego that and be like, I'm not I, I can see down the road. This is the win. I don't know. That's something I'm trying to kind of kind of get my mind around better. Yeah, I think it is delayed gratification, but it always comes down to people's their vision for what they want in the future. Yeah, I think that when people think about buying a house, I always try to help them think about why are you buying a house and to think about creating wealth creation, passive income, and getting to a place where, like you said, one of the things you said early on was you didn't want your job to own you. Mm-hmm. Hey, money doesn't make you happy, but it gives you options. Yeah, And yeah. if you have enough passive income coming in where you can pay your mortgage, you can pay for your gas and food and your survival uh, needs at home, all of a sudden it puts you in this position where if you don't like what you're can, you're doing, you can go do something else. Yeah. And 80% of America lives paycheck to paycheck. So I think when people start thinking long-term and like where they want to be in five years, 10 years, what they want their kids to have, the opportunities to have that maybe they didn't growing mm-hmm. up, that's when those decisions become a lot easier to make. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So um, one of the things that you had said, I want to circle back on because it's something we've talked about a lot here is you said you grew up in a Christian home and, you know, you had this belief system. I don't know if you still have it today, but we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Money was bad. Frugal is good. 
Tell me a little bit more about that because I think I have a similar experience, but I'd love to hear it. I'm sort of trying to root these kind of rackets out and they're, they're deep in there. They were really connected to um, maybe it's just really irresponsible um, handling of phrases like the root, the love of money is the root of all evil. And just sort of these blanket statements that cause, I think, Christians to have this sort of chip on their shoulder persecution mentality, poor pastors, poor Christians, but hey, we don't need money. And it's, and nothing, it's always, it's always a partial truth, right? Because I mean, living down in LA, I saw plenty of wealthy people who were absolutely miserable. So it Mm. did answer the question, okay, money doesn't lead to happiness, but it can give you freedom. But being owned by the pursuit or the need for money or the lifestyle, I was in real quick, short story. I was in Hong Kong with a guy he was hosting us and we were staying in one of his properties. It was a, it was a penthouse apartment that was empty because he didn't even, it was just an, you know, 14th story. He had the entire level. Nice. He, he would get up and make us breakfast. He would drive us to our meetings. He was probably in his sixties. He owned 30 international businesses. I mean, just super wealthy. And one morning he told us his story about, you know, the lifestyle he lived, getting cleaned out by his wife, this and that. Anyhow, he comes to this moment talking about the lifestyle he used to live and how he lives now, which we were seeing every day in and day out. I mean, I felt so uncomfortable with how well he treated us and he was hosting us, all this stuff. And he tells us in his perfect, like broken English, Chinese parable accent, he goes, Jeremy, when luxury becomes necessity, you are in prison. Wow. I mean, that, and that was his, and he was living it, man. I mean, this guy could have could have had any kind of lifestyle he wanted. And he just lived this very peaceful, humble life, you know? So there's something in there about like, about being, not being owned by the money. And I'm trying to, trying to flesh out these rackets, but um, it's almost like being afraid of wanting more money, but knowing that I'm needing, I need it. I need it for my family and to live and I want comforts for them. It's it's a weird kind of unhealthy balance yeah. of I know there's also another phrase you know the deceitfulness of riches I would actually love to hear your thought on that like it's talking about the the parable of the sower and one of the the um word the the seeds that falls on the ground is choked out and it, there's the deceitfulness yeah. of riches so it's all wrapped up in that I'm I'm still working about the language yeah. too but anything you want to react to that that's sort of my my experience with it oh, I think if we're honest we're all we're all learning that journey you know and I think that. It's something that we'll, I think we'll keep learning it. Um, you know, this last week I was in Kauai with my family and I had an, an incredible privilege to be able to go to Ni'ihau, which is the forbidden island where uh, like 150 native Hawaiians still live and they've lived there since the 1800s and no one's allowed to go there. The only reason I was able to go is because of a friend of a friend who got me an opportunity to go hunting with the people. And so- This trip you went hunting? Yeah. Oh, so we went on a hunting trip, Heather and I. And so the the thing, the reason I bring that up is the family that owns the island, the Robinsons, they, I learned a little bit about them while I was there because I was spending time with these Hawaiian people that speak Hawaiian and live, they they live like off the land. Yeah. They don't have electricity. They, they catch their own water. They don't have money on the island. Like it's really, really? It's an incredible experience. But the Robinsons, they own like a third of Kauai, the helicopter, I believe in uh, Jurassic Park, that property is theirs and that helicopter was theirs. Mm-hmm. That was actually the helicopter Heather and I flew on to get there. And the this family, 
literally takes care of the Hawaiian people because their ancestors made a promise to King Kamehameha that they would always protect that island, which was a 65 square mile island. They would always protect it and protect these people. And I saw some pictures of these guys. And these are the types of guys, if you saw them on the street, would never know that they're incredibly wealthy beyond what most people would ever imagine. And I, I was really inspired by that. Like I couldn't stop thinking about mm-hmm. that. These modern day Kings are taking what they have and they have this mission and this purpose to protect a, a group of people who they're not even sharing blood with. Like these are white guys with Hawaiian people, but yeah. they, they had that much honor that they would protect this Island. Hmm. And the helicopter is to take the people back and forth when they have essential needs, like got to go to the doctor. Yeah. And so where I've gotten with this is that, and, and you know, you talk about the Bible. I, I read those scriptures too. I, I think today the only way to steward finances well and to not let it own you is to be incredibly generous and to have a purpose that's way beyond you having a comfortable, fun life. And I, I, don't, I don't think there's another way. I really don't think there's another hmm. way. I think you're either stewarding it or it's owning you. And that's super interesting because I find myself when I talk about sort of vision for finances in my life and talk about wanting to make a lot of money, I always feel this obligation to add in and, and give a lot away, you know, <laughs> but I feel like that kind of gives me this sort of moral Christian right to having that. And in, in one sense, it seemed like it seemed kind of like, oh, that's just the right thing to say. But I think there's a principle behind that that is 100% almost like a safeguard. Mm-hmm. It like guards, yep. I, I'm, as, as you said that, honestly, it kind of connected that for me a bit. Yeah. Which it's not just a kind of like the right thing to say. It's like a, a way of not falling into the trap. Of, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's better if someone has money that they're giving a little away. And if that's the only amount that they can give or that's the trust that they have at that mm-hmm. time, it's better than not giving anything away at all. Yeah. But the guys that I know who have mm-hmm. kind of walked through this journey that are ahead of me, you know, you, if you're friends with people that have a lot more money than you, it's a, it's a really good thing to see because you get to watch the fruit of their life. Mm-hmm. And I've had friends like you've described who had a lot of money and you, you saw bad fruit. But then I have friends who they're literally changing the world and you've seen them buy the cars and the toys and, and tell you on the other side of it, that it didn't make them any happier, Mm -hmm. that it actually choked their life out because they had to get insurance for it, bigger garages, clean it, take care of it, which took them away from the things that they realize are the most important things and which is things like this. Yeah. Having conversations with good friends, belly laughing with your buddies. Um, spending time with your children and your wife, enjoying your life. that Those are the best things we're going to experience here. And, yeah. and it doesn't take money to do that, but it does take money to do pretty much everything else. Right. And and so that's that's the dilemma that guys like you and I have is trying to sort this out over time. It, like, we call it Money Whole Podcast because money is a part of being whole. Mm-hmm. But we see people all the time that they they confuse the ends with the means and right. it ends up owning them. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where, what I'm thinking about right now yeah. when it comes to this yeah. is stewardship. Um, I knew another guy, I went on an elk hunting trip a few years back and he owned a big ranch up in Oregon. Um, unbelievable. I mean, this, the, he had his own landing strip, his own jet, 
I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was a 36,000 acre ranch. All the lakes were filled with uh, steelhead. I mean, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen, a billionaire. And when you ask him about the property, he always referred to it as uh, stewarding it. Hmm. He never said, I own this property. Hmm. Because he always had this mindset that, or at least the way that I heard him was, none of this is mine. Yeah, And he always invited people up there and let them come and hunt and use it. He would hold retreats there. Yeah, He would just do all, he would host pastors and people up there for free who wouldn't Mm -hmm. normally get those opportunities. Yeah. And so I I think that the purpose that that's deep within us has to be really solidified. If you're going to wander into the wilderness of having wealth uh, or it's going to cause you some problems, but the problem sometimes will take you back there anyways. Right. Cause I, I mean, for me and a lot of people I know we've made a lot of mistakes you know, so like buying a, an expensive car, which so many people do. I, mm-hmm. I just heard this. The average car payment for most Americans today, guess what it is? It's going to depress me. 600 800 bucks. 800 I was going to say. $800 is the average car payment for Americans right now. And so unfortunately, people, a lot of people never get out of that trap. Yeah. Um, but some of us have made those decisions. We've bought a car we shouldn't have bought. We... We bought something we shouldn't have. We spent money on something that was frivolous that mm-hmm. we don't have today. Yeah, and and those mistakes a lot of times are the things that will help you get better at stewarding money. Yeah, and so you know I always want people to hear that. Like most people that have wealth, they didn't just get there on a winning streak. Like they right. they, they bumped their head along the way. Do you think? Because I'm probably coming from less of a. Well, I, we talked about this kind of like a financially minded family kind of background growing up. Um, It seems like a silly question, but would you say, you know, there are gifting, you know, there are people who are never going to be great basketball players. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are some people who are just not going to be meant to steward great amounts of wealth? Or do you think this is a sort of, is it a personality, a disposition or a mindset thing purely? Or do you think, I know that's a huge, that's so general, you almost, but I'd just be curious your thought on that. Because I was talking to my my business partner on our investment property, and he was talking about all the just kind of moves he's making. He said that he said, he goes, that the wealthy use to shelter more of their cash. And he's like, it's stuff that once you enter into a certain echelon, you're in another world and you start talking to different planners and different tax people and different, different guys that know how to like, and um. And it, and it is kind of this hidden secret, you know, kind of world that a lot of people don't have the need to get into. You know, I don't need to pay that much money to shelter. I don't make that much, you know, whatever. But it's kind of like playing the game, educating yourself. And so your thoughts on like, is that more of a mindset or a disposition, a personality, you know, or do you feel like anyone can get to the place where the wealth could be a gift in their not their life, not a curse, you know, or something? Yeah. That's a good question. I think if, have you read The Millionaire Next Door? Uh Uh-uh. So this is a story of a, I believe it was a UPS driver Hmm. on a UPS salary who became a multimillionaire. And he did it because he just stewarded what he had well over a long period of time. And so when I think- age? He started early. I think he had 30 years or 20 years Uh of of accumulation and compound interest. And, you know, obviously- he studied stocks. He studied mutual funds. Okay. He didn't just throw it into E-Trade and cross his fingers. I mean, right, he, he definitely right. educated himself along yeah. the way. But but on that kind of an income, 
which is probably lower than the average income for most most yeah. you know most markets he was able to become a multimillionaire and so the principle from that book and many like it is yeah everyone and anyone can and it doesn't mean that it will make them happy it doesn't mean that it won't cause them problems it just i think to answer your question i, I don't think it's a i don't think it's just limited to certain people. I think it, it all comes down to our belief systems that we have mm -hmm. that we usually inherited from our parents, yeah. from maybe the church we were at young, whatever, wherever we got it, we have these belief systems that keep us from growing in whatever area of life we're talking about. Right. Um, I heard Tony Robbins one time, he was talking about belief systems and he was saying how he was helping this gal who was obese. And she said, I'm not fat. I'm just big boned. Mm -hmm. He was like, no, that's not true. We, our bones are the same size. Right. Yeah. But he was helping her understand, like you have these stories you've been telling yourself yeah. that she wasn't even aware of. Mm. And that ended up being really helpful for her because she realized like the truth will set me free. Yeah. And so I do think for most people, even now in America, even with everything the news is talking about inflation, deflation, the dollar crashing, the stock market, banks failing, People still right now have an incredible opportunity if they believe in themselves and they do the work and they commit to the long term. That's the other thing that I think is a trap for a lot of people is they want to get there so fast huh. and it takes time and you know it's a long game. And I think that's important. And that's probably a function of society these days. Everything is the yeah. quick pill, right? Yep. And I guess that is almost kind of at odds with the idea of well, I mean, to a degree, wealth creation in an in like an ex, in a sustainable sense, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because otherwise, you're I mean, you're playing crypto and you're losing your butt, or you're just going wild on certain things. Yeah, there are a lot of people that want to get rich quick nowadays. I mean, you see it all over. I don't know if you're on social media, but you see it all over Instagram. I mean, the Lambos, the work from the island, and make money without having to work. Uh, right message that's out there. What do, why do you think that is? Well, this is one of my, an interesting thing. I'd love to hear perspective. My philosophy on that, I have this thought when it comes to politics that the leaders we want are the ones who don't want to be in leadership positions, mm -hmm. right? If someone's so power hungry, I'm like, that's the last person I want thinking, ooh, let me just control these pawns' lives, right? But it, it kind of creates this internal conundrum because yeah. you want the people who, don't, who aren't so thirsty to be there. So with money, I feel it in myself even, I'll make it personal, but, and with people, I think that's why, get, why we get suckered into things like these get rich quick and, and those like start private labeling or arbitraging on Amazon guys. No, it's just numbers game. It's going to yeah. be like 2% who are even going to make a profit or whatever. But I feel like it's easy to get pulled into that because of the like, I mean, it power, money, they're almost the same thing, right? There's yeah. this kind of like suck you in. So I'm trying to think for me, because I've known wealthy people who are so scared of losing their money. Yeah. You know what I mean? And poor people who are terrified of not having enough. And then both of the inverses, right? Yep. Poor people who are so generous, they don't freak out about money. And the rich people, the same. So it's obviously a mindset then, right? Yeah. It's not a number. Yep. Um, and it's almost like, it's almost like an addiction. They call, you know, like you can perseverate on something and be so stuck on it. And it will own you no matter which side of it you're like looking at it from. So I'm trying to think if there's any language you think of when, as I'm talking about this, that comes to mind of like not being, 
how do we not be overly desirous of probably the greatest commodity that like runs everyone's kind of a lot of people's motivation for why they do what they do, how many hours they spend away from their family, all these things, right? It's to make yep. money, more money equals more freedom equals more happiness, but there's a breakdown there somewhere, obviously. Right. So. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, the number I've been studying, you know, analytics on Google and social media and the, the number one and two, you probably know this, but the number one and two, uh, videos that people want to watch are wealth and health. Hmm. And so it's hmm. like, well, why are people so interested? And I, I think it's very simple. Most people are struggling financially. Yeah. But I, I, what they, instead of trying to figure out behavior and changing behavior to change the way they spend their money hmm. and to change their mindset about it, just like anything in our life, a lot of times we, think that our problem is external. And if I just had more money, if only this, then I would be this. Right. And I think that that's a big part of the problem is people think that their money problems come from not having enough of it instead of a lack of stewardship mm. and poor habits yeah. that they need to change. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I always have felt was missing with a lot of the financial literacy podcasts that you and I have both watched for a long time is a lot of them are very good at giving really good tools to modify the behavior. But if people don't get to the root of their poor behavior and get really honest, you could give them all the money in the world and it's only going to make the problem worse, right. which is why you see so many rich people who are miserable and then they end up broke again, right back to where they were before. Yeah. Now, if you see a wealthy person who has done a lot of that inner work, who has taken the time and didn't try to get rich quick and became a student of the process, yeah. if they lose all their money in 20 years, and this happens all the time, a lot of multimillionaires that go broke become multimillionaires again, and they do it way faster because yeah. the process of learning how to become wealthy is far more important than having wealth itself. That's... Needle point that on the pillow, and I'll sit okay, on Okay, I'll put it right The process <laughs> of getting wealthy. Um you know what's great is I think back to your point about generosity. Yeah, it's not only a so, a, a guard against sort of meaninglessness when you've made it to independent wealth. Mm -hmm. I think it's also the setup for this mindset that we're talking about. Yeah, you, I mean, all these th for me, you know, growing up Christian, this, these are all come to my mind. If you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. And it's I've even been thinking about tithing recently because there's a lot of different perspectives you know it's not it's a new testament thing so it's not a it's not a necessity you don't have to do it it's sort of an option thing it's not a mm -hmm. salvation or a sin but it kind of i i'm i'm realizing that the goal of it was like so many things i believe in the bible or any of these kind of tomes of wisdom is that it's not these kind of like legalistic harsh moral kind of rules it's these suggestions and guidelines for prosperity and abundance. And I think if you start this kind of, I was, I was, I heard a little, um, snippet of Arnold Schwarzenegger on what's, what's the boxer, Paul, um, Logan, oh, nice. like, whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, and his podcast. And he asked me like, why are you still going to the gym? You've like, you've won everything, you know, you've done all this stuff. And he goes, and Arnold says something like, well, why do you still sleep? Why do you still eat? Why do you still, I mean, exercise at all? He's like, Good it's what I do. It's a part of yeah. my life. It is as though I'm breathing and eating. He's like, and I've decided that it is that. So I think if, if we can shift into that, 
generosity mode. You know, I actually thought about starting a club that was based on how much money people have turned down in their lives. <laughs> turned down? Yes. Like how mean? much money you have chosen away from. Like, you know, I mean, how many, like a decision you made that cost you money, but based on a sort of higher moral, like my, my wife has turned down almost a depressing amount of money. Uh, she's been on, when we lived in LA, acting jobs, different things, social media stuff. And she does it not because of some racket like I have, like, oh, money's bad, money's bad. She is so clearly connected to like her vision of what it yeah. is that the no to all those opportunities that would bring money, they'd also bring other things, you know, yep. but even the numbers in and of themselves would be enough to make a lot of people go, are you crazy? I mean, this can't be that bad. I'm just going to take it, you know, whatever. I'm not even pretending that I have the same fortitude that she does. And honestly, some days I'm like, at least you're married to honey, her. you need to like, you need to think about this. Otherwise <laughs> I'm going to go to work again today while you turn down money, you know, but there's something there where I was talking to the other day. She's like, we live in our little very like average house with our cars that are 10, 20 years old. And she's like, I could not be happier. She started crying. I mean, it can make me cry right now. She started welling up with tears going, yeah. I don't want anyone else's life. You could not put a single life in front of me that I would ever trade this for. Yeah. Like with you, with our kids and our house, she goes, I love our house. This is where we've raised our kids. And she's like, if it's one, if it's a pool, it's a bigger house, a newer car. She's like, if you think that's the thing, you've lost it. Yeah. And she's sitting here just going like, I mean, cracked the code to contentment. Yeah. Not that she's there every minute of every single day, but in these areas she is, you yeah. know? And I was like trying to really let that sink into me because I know it's so easy, even just by osmosis for the world's like number one and two things on Google. They know this is like scientifically studied out. Like how can we grab people's attention? We're just yep. paying and trading attention, right? That's the most valuable commodity. We know that people want to make money and they believe they've, they've, they've drank the Kool-Aid. They believe the lie that like money in and of itself equals happiness. Million dollar house, million dollar body. Exactly. Yeah. My dad counseled down in Orange County, I mean, countless wealthy, attractive, like trophy, husband, wife, job situation. They're like, I don't want to be in the same room as my spouse. You know, so you start to see all these breakdowns. You're like, this isn't it. But it, it takes a lot to actually pull our heads out of the fog that is just the influx of, you, you, you named it, social media, advertising, everything that is saying, want this, be this, look like this, have this. It it takes a lot of effort. If you think you're just going to flow with the current and not end up thinking that way, it doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. You know, going back to the generosity thing, I think for most people, when you're generous with your money, you know, the first thing when you, when I had a little bit to give and I started being generous years ago, I lost my fear of financial insecurity mm. and I was able to feel like what you described your wife felt like most of the time. Like mm. I wanted what I had. I wasn't needing anything else. It, it really gave me that peace of mind and, and that was worth it in, on its own. But then you start be becoming aware of things and causes that you're passionate about, you know, like whatever it is. Like yeah. I've had cancer and we adopted kids because we couldn't have babies. So we're really passionate about children and protecting them. And, and you start seeing how much money can change these uh, meaningful organizations, then you start getting really excited too. And you start thinking about, wow, like if this much does this much, what if I, and so I, I think for a lot of people, just the beginning of starting to be generous, if, if you get nothing else, but 
a freedom from the fear of financial insecurity, which most people yeah. live in every day and they don't even know it yeah. because they inherited it from their parents and they've always felt it. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. Um, but from there, I mean, it, it's, it's an incredible world and it, it's, it's such a dynamic tool to stay healthy and to stay connected and to do good things that I, you know, I just can't speak enough about it. I mean, yeah. I, I think that I have a lot of friends that have really inspired me there. Um, it's interesting too, because there's a lot of talk about operating in the flow of what you do and sort of letting go of certain things that you think you need, i.e. just a steady job that's a bit of a grind and you're kind of dying in it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And you hear people kind of challenge you and say, challenge people and say, you know, like you've got to let go of that thing. You've got to let go of the thing that seems to be your sort of your stability and your provision mm -hmm. in order to find this. But that leap is that gap can be terrifying. Yeah. And, and the generosity piece with finance is almost the same thing. It is. It's kind of like, you got to let go of, cause it's, uh, there's just such this hold on to every bit that you can, yep. you know, maximize every bit. It's not even a necessarily bad mindset, but it can be a massively limiting one. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's that, it's that counterintuitive move that actually brings about the thing. And most of us don't make that gap between the cognitive dissonance yep. of, Doing the contrary thing actually being, brings me the thing that I'm I'm really hoping for. Yeah, I had someone recently say, I, I can't give right now because I don't have enough money every month. And I said, well, that's your starting point. Hmm. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, you don't have enough money to give every month, which means you don't have enough money right now. So you either need to make more money or you need to get rid of debt. But that is your offering right now. Hmm. That's your generosity. Yeah. Your motivation is no different than mine. You just have to go in a little bit of a different direction right now to create some space so you can. So if giving is really the goal, then you can do that. You yeah. just have to start working on whatever it is you have. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's a transformational thing. And, and most people would say that's true yeah. when they start getting into it. So, uh, Jeremy, one last question I have for you. So this has been a great conversation. I'm, we haven't had a chance to talk for a while. So I've really enjoyed having these. And I remember always having conversations like this with you. I miss them. Um, looking forward, like what are your plans for the future? You, you know, we talked a lot about these belief systems. You, you've been an investor. It's served you well. You, you're not going to ever sell that place. <laughs> um, like you're a business owner, two kids. Like what are you thinking about for the future when it comes to real estate, investing, Oh man. Well, like my life, which has about 20 different branches of uh, vocations or avocations, I got to try to suck it in. Because right now in answer to this question, I could go into a commune cult with my family <laughs> or to different investment ideas or different things. But I would say kind of on this, as far as, and a lot of it, it's funny, it does come back to kind of there needs to be a financial freedom to allow certain things. It'd be nice to be like, yeah, let's all go buy some land and live on a commune. And, and you say, who's going to pay for this, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of at that place where I'm trying to walk, walk out both of these existences. One, which is just gratitude. Just, I, had a, I had a client the other day. He asked me how I was doing. I said, I could not be better. And he goes, oh, it looks like someone's hit their 10,000 hours. I said, what? And I said, I know the 10,000 hour. I don't know if that was a Malcolm Gladwell thing or what, it was, but it was, yeah. a, it was a, you know, the Beatles. After 10,000 hours, you kind of become a master or whatnot. And he said, of gratitude. And I, I was half joking, but half not, you know? So it's that really leaning into gratitude and mm -hmm. like, I mean, sort of mastering it sounds like a weird thing to say, but 
working at it. That one. And then also practically, I told you, I'm building out an ADU in my basement. Mm -hmm. And that could, you know, half my mortgage get covered there. really smart. And keep managing the fourplex and, you know, other investment opportunities that come up. I'm just, I want to chip away at that. And even that like chip away, I also have to, in the gratitude is slow, right? It's very present. And I got to stay there because I want to be ahead of where I'm at right now. I start thinking, but, but okay, 10 years from now, I need it five years from now. And if I start spinning out on that, I miss the kind of like, take the good opportunities that are right in front of you right now. And I'll miss them if I'm, if I'm jumping too far Mm -hmm. ahead. So I guess that's what is gratitude and what's in front of me. I had an empty basement. I'm going to build it out, rent it out. And then <clears throat> once I do that, I'll be on to the next thing and just start to alleviate my dollars for hours existence yeah. with my job. Because right now my kids are one in three. Time with my wife, my kids is more important than, you know, any paycheck any, anyone can offer me. Base hits, bro. There you go. Every now and then you get a home run, but we got to hit those base hits. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with me, man. Thanks for watching. This is the Money Hole Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, download, and leave a comment.